like to follow is John 20 verses 19 to 31. Jesus appears to his disciples. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. It's Sunday and every Sunday should be the celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ because this day we know Jesus is risen and he's risen indeed. He's alive. You know, the mob had screamed on Friday, crucify him, crucify him, and they prevailed. Weak, self-concerned leadership surrendered to the pressure of self-preservation and the Son of God was crucified, dead and buried. Earth and hell had done all they could to destroy God's one and only begotten Son. Crucified, dead and buried. Jesus' body lay in the tomb all Friday night, all through Saturday. Death holding him firmly in its grip and every evil abomination held life in their keeping. On Friday, Jesus hung dead on a cross. On Saturday, Jesus lay dead in a grave. Then came Sunday, and up from the grave he arose. Jesus is risen. He is alive. Death could not hold him captive. Every one of you should be saying, Hallelujah, today. I mean, think about it. Today, we join over a billion people around the world celebrating the resurrection of Jesus. But what difference has it made to your lives? What changes have taken place? Because I'm telling you, the resurrection of Jesus should be making a huge difference in your life. For Easter celebrates the electrifying, awesome event 
in human history, the greatest event in human history, past, present, and future. The only thing that will equal it will be the return of the Lord Jesus Christ whenever that takes place. Okay, friends? It's amazing. It's exciting. It's terrific. Just think of it. All of that wonder and the significance of it and somehow it seems to be missing from our lives lots of times. So this morning I want to focus on a vital element to the resurrection of Jesus we need to take hold of or better still needs to take hold of us. Now I don't know if you've ever been to one, whether it's a hydro power station or coal-fired or whatever, it's amazing. A coal-fired power station, huge shovels dig out house-sized scoops of coal. The coal is pulverised, loaded onto huge rail trucks, transported to the power station where it's further crushed into powder. Superheated, the powder ignites like petrol when blown into the huge furnaces that drive the steam turbines. Whirring at 3,600 revs per minute, turbines generate electric power for thousands of people. I've, I've been to those sort of power stations. I've been to Tumut, I've been down to Yulon, I've been to a couple, two or three of others. The power generation, friends, it's interesting, it's not stored. It just flows out. It's readily available for everyone to use. And when we flip a switch, whether it's where we are in Geelong sometimes or whether it's up here in Wangaratta or wherever, it places demand on the system and the power flows and lights come on and stoves operate and refrigerators operate. It's amazing stuff. Friends, why am I telling that story? Because Christians have the supernatural power of God generated in heaven, readily available to them. It's the power of the resurrection. Every day we should be tapping it. When that power is operating in a church, the church is a beacon of God's salvation. Lives are changed. Abundant life abounds. Joy and gladness permeate everything that's happening. The world is turned upside down. The light of God's kingdom overcomes the darkness of Satan's realm on earth. And it could not be any other way, friends, when you realise the dimension of the power flowing into the world. It's the power of God. After Jesus had been crucified, buried, think, his lifeless body lay in a grave as he endured the punishment of your sin and mine. And he endured it on our behalf. To those he left behind, the disciples, the followers, the women, wherever, their dream was finished in defeat and despair in fear and trepidation, filled with shattered illusion and grief. They gathered behind locked doors, wondering what on earth now. During those dark hours following Jesus' death and burial, to them it seemed like Satan's dark kingdom had surely won. Then, in the very early hours of the morning after the Sabbath, as if a switch had been thrown, power surged from heaven. The earth shook. The curtain in the temple tore in two. Life surged and Jesus rose from the grave to live forevermore. Lord of lords and King of kings. Doesn't that excite you? I'm looking at some faces and I think they've all died. I've gone to sleep. My goodness, where did the resurrection go? It's the, friends, it's the power of God. It's the power of the one who gives life. It's the power of the resurrection the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's that same power that burst forth from heaven when God spoke and everything came to be. 
It's that same power that comes about every time the Spirit of God really is given freedom to move because that same power is readily available to you and me today. Now, but as soon as I say that, I think we have to ask, where's it gone? Now, we had an interesting experience in Warren Ponds a few years ago. We suffered what's called a brownout. Now, I don't know if you've experienced that. Your light globes flicker and they're half on and you have to turn all your appliances off because your motors will burn out because there's not sufficient power to keep them going or to drive them, but enough that they'll get hot and so it goes. It's a real issue, okay? So much church life, I think, these days is like a brownout, lacking the power that really is available, power of the resurrection. It's like the resurrection never took place. I mean, Christians and Christian churches, nothing like what Jesus wants. Christians unsure of what being a disciple means. Um, others certain they know, and yet their behaviour and attitude is far from the reality. Some allowing what they think is important to such a level that their petty differences separate them from brothers and sisters in Christ. Those just wanting to and do attend worship Um, without really getting involved in serving the risen Lord. And others so busy doing the Lord's work, they're at their wit's end, on the verge of burnout, thinking there has got to be more to Christianity than this. There are Christians who mostly do their own thing instead of God's thing. Many congregations made up of individuals whose only contact is for an hour or two on Sunday and, and except for the select few who meet more often to discuss finance and maintenance and plan program. The result, too many people see the church, the body of Christ, Jesus' disciples, as powerless, impotent and irrelevant. We really seriously, and we should do it every Sunday because of it, but take stock of the situation and we need to really look for ways that we can switch on and release the full power of the resurrection into our lives. Paul wrote, and this is really my text for the day, despite the fact that we had that, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Is that seriously your prayer, your heart's desire? Paul prayed that the church would know God's incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Wow. You know, when I think of that power and what that power did to the disciples and to Paul and to others through the centuries, I tell you, my heart burns within me. I yearn for more of the power to be displayed in the church, in my life, in your life, that God would really get the glory. I mean, let's be serious here. Jesus' resurrection is not simply an event in history. His resurrection... It's not simply a supernatural event, a miracle, as though God interfered with laws of nature. The resurrection of Jesus means something that belongs to the eternal order has appeared on the scene 
of the temporal historical order. It's not just a disturbance of the normal course of events. It's the manifestation of something utterly new. Eternal life has appeared in the midst of mortality. It's an act of God signifying the beginning of the age to come where there is no sin and no death. The witness of the New Testament constantly bears testimony to that. It says, yes, an objective act took place in a garden tomb outside of Jerusalem in which the crucified and tombed Jesus emerged from the grave into a new order of life, a life where the limitation and the infirmity of the flesh has given way to the power in the spirit. The New Testament declares that the resurrection of Jesus brought into being the age of the Spirit, the age to, of the power to come, in which the impact of Jesus and the impact of Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, becomes effective in every believer. The New Testament never confines the benefits of Jesus' death to the abolition simply of a bad past and securing of an eternal future to the forgiveness of sin by the power of his blood and the gaining of a place in heaven. God planned, and I alluded to this Friday, is way bigger than that. I mean, we read earlier at the beginning of the service, before anything was created, when you and I and everything out there was simply beginning to form in the thought of God, if you like, knowing we would walk away from him, knowing we would be in rebellion against him, still created still brought into being, knowing he would suffer the anguish of seeing his sinless son crucified, dead and buried, taking our punishment in his place. Friends, God's plan was from the beginning that this is what would happen because he justifies us for a purpose. And that purpose is that the likeness of his son, Jesus the Christ, should, by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, be formed in you and me, in us. God's purpose is for the risen Lord to exercise his lordship in the believer by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Now you've had the theology. You won't get better theology than that, I don't think. What does it mean for us today, though? What does it really mean? What's the implication? John's account of one of the resurrection appearances of Jesus, I think, gives the answer. The disciples, full of dread, totally defeated, okay? Ineffectual group, no future. When the risen Lord Jesus came and stood in their midst, okay? Now, it was a terrifying moment for them. I want you to think about that. They're already behind locked doors, full of fear. The doors are locked. Jesus was in the tomb. Now, they've heard a few stories about the fact that he's not in the tomb, and they haven't believed the women, and suddenly Jesus is there in front of them. If you were there, would you be terrified? I would be. Let me tell you. It was a terrifying moment for them. And the first words of Jesus addressed that fear. What he said was, peace be with you. Literally, shalom would be the word. You know, Jesus actually always comes when he was in the flesh and now has risen Lord to people to bring peace to their troubled minds. He always comes with that kind of love, that kind of word for troubled souls, for people separated from God. And it's the peace of God he's bringing. Now, in the day, peace be with you was a sort of formal, normal, everyday greeting of his time. But it meant much more than our hello. The word shalom was the people's way of saying, may God 
give you every good thing. May God give you every good thing. That's exactly what Jesus wanted to bring about in their lives then and in our lives now. Now, the sight of the risen Lord now transforms them and that work transforms their situation so that uncertainty, fear and defeat are now replaced by an exuberant joy and an excitement. So much so, Jesus had to calm them now with the same words. But then, I think he would have spoken words to them that would have taken them to a whole new level and it did. Listen to these incredible words, friend. I want you to hear them as if Jesus is saying them to you personally. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. As the Father sent me. Friends, those those five words are mind-blowing. Think about it. Jesus was conceived, born by the power of the Holy Spirit. Matthew one twenty, Luke one thirty five. The trig event that empowered and fired Jesus for his ministry as God's son was the coming of the Holy Spirit on him. Now think of this. This is the one whom by the move of the Spirit in the Virgin Mary is conceived and is born. And now he comes to a moment in his life at about 30 years of age and in his baptism moment as he comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends upon him and all the Gospels tell us Jesus was anointed with Holy Spirit and power at that time. And Peter preached, of course, how God anointed Jesus with Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Why? Because God was with him. Acts ten thirty-eight. Friends, there would have been no ministry at all of Jesus, of the Son of God, without that anointing, empowering of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit which empowered Jesus for his work of proclaiming the kingdom of God is the same Spirit who made him eternally alive in the tomb. That's what it says in 1 Peter 3.16. Jesus' incarnation, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension was for one purpose, to redeem and recreate human beings in the image of God. That is, that they could and would be born anew from above and be made fit for God's special possession and purpose. Jesus put it this way, no one can enter the kingdom of God, that is the reign and the rule of God, unless he is born again, because flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit, to life. John 3, 5, 6. Immediately after declaring those words that he was going to send them out as the Father sent him, immediately after that, we're told Jesus breathed on them. Do you know the same word is used when God breathed life into Adam? And the same word is used when the divine breath brings life to what were corpses in the valley of the dry bones in Ezekiel 37. This breath is the breath of life, friends. God's breath. You see, what I'm saying to you is Jesus' act is an act of new creation. The coming of the Holy Spirit into our lives brings to us the life of the risen Lord, the resurrection power of God. And this means that those who become Christians become 
new persons. They are not the same anymore. For their old life is gone and a new life has begun. That's what it says, 2 Corinthians 5.17. The presence of the Spirit in us provides us with the power that makes great things happen, enables us to fulfill the missionary task Jesus has given us. You see, in the resurrection of Jesus, an enormous change takes place. Instead of the present being conditioned by the past, the present now comes to us out of our future. I want to tell you, if you grasp that, that's a significant, that is huge. Because most of us are shaped by our past. We cling to the past, the hurts, whatever. We all have our baggage, as we could say. Isn't that true? When you really come to the cross, what do you do? You leave your baggage there. Now, friends, don't pull the lady handbag trick. You know what the lady handbag trick is? They put it down and they do things and then when they leave, they pick it up and take it away again. We do that when we come to Jesus with our baggage. What Jesus wants to do is he wants us to see our future. We need to focus our life on the basis of the future he secured for us. We need to focus our life on our destiny to be with God in paradise, in heaven. We need to see the future that's coming to us and live our lives into that future, not live our lives with the baggage out of the past. That's what means being born again is. Goodbye to the past. Hello to the future. Some of you are really nodding. You've got it. Praise the Lord. But I'm telling you now, the resurrection will not set us free for the future unless the cross, which we've talked about, sets us free from the past. Our present life is to be one filled with the life and energy from God. We cannot know this life which is really a relationship with God as our Father in heaven without coming to the cross and acknowledging the truth. Jesus is the Son of God, dying there, taking our punishment for sin on himself. It's by the atonement he completed on the cross. Remember what we said on Friday. It is finished. It's done. The redemption work is over. Now it's the time of the new life in that sense. Into your, I commit my spirit into your hands, Father, because he's done it all now. And the fruit of it is this, friends. What he completed on the cross is that we have peace with God, no hostility. Our relationship with God is one of a loving Father who just loves to embrace his children and hold them carefully, lovingly, protectively and endorsing them that they have his authority and his power and his energy to live the way that he's called them to. That is to receive the life of the resurrection of Jesus. Friends, if you've done this, you have eternal life. What, you know what changes? When you focus the future like that, your death becomes a portal. It's you simply go through a door. And when you go through that door, everything that you know on planet earth that has been painful and hurtful falls off. Doesn't that excite you? Because everything we suffer on planet Earth is temporal. That's interesting, isn't it? But we get so caught up in the temporal, we lose sight of the eternal. Friends, the New Testament tells us that the the Holy Spirit is totally essential for us, on us and in us, for us to be truly sons of God, children of God, daughters of God, however you want to go with that. Because the Spirit 
is really the spirit of sonship. I'm not using a sexist term now, okay? Which is the spirit of Jesus himself. That's what I'm saying. So when the members of the New Testament church talk about the Holy Spirit, they're not to- they never talked about the Holy Spirit as if moments of sudden exceptional endowments came on them. It's not a thing temporal. It's something that took place, okay, that was a permanent presence as a partner who lives in them, inspiring them and empowering them to witness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. They were so motivated. I mean, friends, do you know there is more evidence for the resurrection of Jesus than almost any other historical figure? And I'll tell you why. See this book? There's a New Testament in that. Not one word of that New Testament would have been written but for people's experiencing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Right? Not one word. Anybody want to be, oh, not allowed, not enough water for baptism with that, sorry. Uh, you hear what I'm just saying to you, friends? I mean, this is the most awesome thing that we do. And we, every Sunday, it should be S-O-N day because we celebrate the resurrection of God's Son. And this is how it spins out. The New Testament tells us that there's much more to salvation than our sins being forgiven because salvation means God has placed you and me in Jesus Christ, His Son. And this is how God sees it now. When Jesus was put to death, we died with him because we were put in him. And because we died in him, when he rose from the grave, we are made alive in him. And his righteousness becomes ours. And I've done this before with you. When before the cross and before all of that, God looks on you as I'm looking on you now and you're fuzzy. And, uh, and that's because he can't really look on you fully because of the sin and the alienation. But when we come to Jesus at the foot of the cross, he puts his Jesus glasses on and he sees you as perfectly righteous, as absolutely holy, and he wants to treat you on that basis. And the only thing that blocks that is that we don't trust him enough to receive that which he wants to give us. Because we are in Christ, we are made alive with him and we are raised with him And the scripture says we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Ephesians 2 verses 5 through 6. Because in him we have a new standing in the presence of God. Jesus' life is given to us so that now he exalted in heaven is our life power on earth. You and I in him have received his finished work and the risen Lord in you and I gives us his power. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, even before he created, Ephesians 2.10. Now, Jesus actually in that whole process said receive, and he breathed. But it's interesting, that word receive. What is he really on about with that? Actually, the word means to take hold of. Mark uses exactly the same word in his account of the Last Supper when it is said, take this bread. We are to receive the Holy Spirit in the same way as we take hold of a piece of bread when it's offered and make it our own by doing what? Eating it and getting it inside by taking it into our being. Becoming a Christian. That's the proper way to say that. Okay? Because it's Christ Mass, not Christmas. It's Christ Mass because the word Christ means anointed one and Christians, to live the life of a Christian is essentially a matter of of being anointed, filled, full, 
and receiving the anointing, receiving that filling of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul, another place, says constantly, continuously be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because let's be honest, we're like batteries, we leak and we need to be recharged every now and then. Becoming a Christian, living a life of a Christian is essentially a matter of receiving the Holy Spirit. So how do we do that? How do we receive God's, Jesus' gift of the Spirit? I want to say to you, and you probably know it, but I'm going to say it's simple. Three things are necessary, actually. Repentance, flowing from faith in Jesus as the Son of God, confessing that he did die on the cross to take away the sin of the world, and that includes your sin and my sin, okay, and each one of us individually. Because one of the things that worries me sometimes about churches and why I think we have that other sort of church life is somehow we think we are good people and the bad people are out there. In actual fact, from God's perspective, unless we're in Jesus Christ, we're all like those out there. And the only thing that changes is that His grace to forgive us for our fallenness. Now, you've heard me say this lots of times. Sin is an archery term. When you fire the arrow at the target and it misses the target or falls short, it's called sin. Now, if you are created to be in the image of God, to be image bearers, hands up anyone here who has not fallen short of the mark and probably keeps falling short of the mark even though we're full of the Spirit at times. See what I'm saying? By the grace of God, we're saved through faith in Jesus Christ. He is the Redeemer. He is the one that gives us life. And we should be repenting, repenting, repenting every time we stuff up. Repent, okay? Come to the cross, okay? And acknowledge that Jesus is now your ascended, risen Lord. Second thing is, after repentance, is the realization that the Holy Spirit is a gift whom you are to take hold of and receive through your faith in Jesus Christ. And Galatians 3.14 actually says that. Now, I think sometimes what we've done is we receive the Holy Spirit, however we might have had that, whatever experience we may have had, and it's a bit like we get a gift and then we put it on the shelf and don't really run with it. Because how you utilize the gift and how you unpack the gift is by faith. And you know what that faith does? It says, Jesus is Lord, I'm going to do exactly what he tells me to do. Whatever his word is, I do it. Whatever his word spells out, I do it. No matter what conflict that brings me, no matter what difficulty that brings me, no matter what persecution that brings me, I do it. When you do that, the power of the Spirit of God will be on you awesomely. Realignment is the third one of your life, and I've just sort of alluded to that, through absolute submission to Jesus as Lord, allowing him to breathe the Spirit onto you and into you, sometimes through the laying on of hands of others. But, I mean, it doesn't have to be like that. In Kyber, I've never forgotten this. A young girl heard a message about the Spirit of God, went home, and she knelt beside her bed, ready to go to bed, and started to pray for God to pour His Holy Spirit on her. When she woke up in the morning, still kneeling beside the bed and not stiff and sore, <laughs> guess what had happened? The Spirit of God had come on her, and it was different. I know that kind of change. I started my training in the most liberal theological college in Australia and in the first three months, God's Spirit came on me in such a way that I was totally out of step with that bunch of people most of the time. But I still had a good learning experience because God's Spirit kept quickening me the truth. Realign your life. And this is how it happens. Peter and John, now think about this. Sometimes we miss out. I've had lots of people lay hands on me. Yes. (laughs) My parents sometimes... You can't believe that. I was such a naughty boy till I got to 11. And then I got so scared of what might happen, I became good. 
or something. Peter and John went to a place because they'd become believers, but the Spirit hadn't come on them. And to make that right, what did they do? They went and they laid hands on them and that they would receive the Holy Spirit. You read about Acts 8, 17. Friends, why am I saying this to you? Because God wants us to know Jesus Christ, really know Him, and really know the power of His resurrection. Because when the Holy Spirit works in the experience of people who are open to Him, then He starts to set free the church in such a way that He will generate fresh experiences of every sort of New Testament kind and variety. There will be personal conversions. There will be corporate resurrections to new life. There will be empowering and sanctifying of those who believe. There will be healing and setting free of those held by captive by Satan. Things will happen that will blow your minds. The church will really become a beacon in the community. If this church, and I've said this before, I believe this church has a real destiny in the plan and purpose of God. If you really run, if some of those of you who went to that to the prayer training and begin to put that into practice, meet together, begin to put that to practice. Those of you who did the disciple thing, begin to meet together, put to practice. Wangaratta will not be the same 10 years from now. I tell you that. It'll cost you, but it will be significantly worthwhile if you keep your eyes focused on the future destiny God has won for you in Jesus Christ as you live in the power of the resurrection. If you'd like now to just respond to God in some way and open yourselves maybe for him to touch you and you with the Holy Spirit I invite you to stand at this point and if don't stay sitting Father as these people stand in your presence right now I ask for you right now Lord to touch their hearts touch their minds fill them anew with the Holy Spirit set your spirit anointing upon them that they will become on fire with the love of the Lord Jesus Christ in a whole new way and that fire will begin to burn off the dross of Christians around them or wherever that they too will be caught up in the powerful move of your spirit, the resurrection power that you've exercised in and through your son Jesus Christ and made available to us. Let the power of God come on you now in Jesus' name. Amen.